Welcome to the Carnivore Cast, a podcast focused on the carnivore diet and lifestyle, with practical advice from successful carnivores, citizen scientists, and top researchers. I'm your host, Scott Meslinski, and I'm here to speak with experts and experienced carnivores to get answers to your biggest and meatiest questions while helping you live your best life as a carnivore. This episode is brought to you by LMNT Electrolytes. This month, we're switching it up with an exclusive offer that's only for VIP LMNT partners, including Carnivore Cast listeners. You can now receive this free sample pack along with any regular purchase when you use my custom link, which is provided in the show notes or my Instagram link in bio. That's drinklmnt.com forward slash carnivorecast, all one word. And as I said, I'll include the link in the show notes. LMNT electrolytes are convenient, evidence-based, and delicious. And get yours today to help support the show. Thank you. Michael Matthew at Carnivore Quad is a health coach, body worker, and successful carnivore. Michael suffered for decades with chronic illness and a spinal cord injury, which he blames on high oxalates, and now at 58 years old and three years on a low oxalate diet, has healed and completely changed his life. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thanks, Scott. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Pleasure is mine. Um, so yeah, I'd love to get into your health history and your journey and uh, please go with the long version. I'd, I'd love to hear it. Yeah. So uh, I sent you some kind of an overview. So feel free to uh, feel free to dial me in if you want to hear more specifics. Okay. Um, standard American diet growing up. Um, didn't know anything about oxalates till just three years ago, but. And, and look at when I got that information, I went carnivore. Um, it's been three and a half years ago. Um, but I, uh, and the YouTube algorithm, month after going carnivore, it sends me a Sally K. Norton video talking about oxalates. Um, I think it tried six months earlier, but at that point I was like, no, not, can't handle one more new thing. So, um, yeah. Anyway, uh, so, but that, getting that piece of information about oxalates, when I had already been carnivore for a month, I, I, I figured, oh, well, I don't have to change anything around plants because I'm not eating any right now. So I might as well listen to this video and find out all of what it's about. And what was beautiful about that is it filled in the missing details, like some pretty big missing details. And Primarily, um, it was when I was 23, I, uh, I, I got my engineering degree and uh, got a job at Eastman Kodak in Rochester, New York, and they had a food co-op, which I don't think I ever knew what one was until then. And it was like, wow, look at, look at all these bulk foods you can buy and everything's organic. And, uh, and then because of some past experiences, I think my sister cooking at a vegetarian restaurant in Maine and, and, and then just the, you know, just the information that was being put out in mainstream. Um, it just, the idea of going vegetarian became really intriguing to me. And, uh, and of course, and this is where the oxalate piece, understanding it better comes in. The things that I love the most were that really heavy, almost German you know, whole grain bread just slathered with almond butter or cashew butter 
And then, you know, going for the greens like spinach and chard and, and then all the whole grains. And, you know, looking back now, it's like, oh my God, I don't think I could have, if I knew what oxalates were, I don't think I could have made my diet much higher then. And what was really sad thing is, you know, I, I had some, I had some warning signs that I didn't know how to recognize then, but over the five-year period I worked at Kodak and, and, you know, really made those diet adjustments. I watched myself go from a relatively healthy guy to being, um, you know, in the cellar, you know, and it, it was scary because I didn't know what was going on. It's, it's like, oh my God, did I get exposed to some weird chemicals at Kodak? Had my mercury filling started dissolving in my mouth? You know, what, what, what the heck was going on there? And, and, you know, I, I was just hobbling along as a 25-year-old man. And somewhere in, in that time, I ended up out here in Boulder and uh, for, for the beginning of my bodywork training. And I got hooked up with a chiropractor who did um, muscle testing, um, you know, did a lot of work with supplements and all kinds of stuff. And she said, Michael, you need to do a Great Smokies stool test so we can see what the heck is going on with your gut. And so imagine I get the results and my candida's off the charts high. Um, I had two pathogenic amoebas, two pathogenic bacteria, and my good probiotics were in the cellar. And so at least I had an answer why I was feeling like hell, but I didn't know what was causing it. And what were some of the things you were experiencing when you say you're feeling like hell, Michael? Yeah, um, I lost weight. I lost water weight. Um, all of my joints started popping. And um, sometime in there, well, actually, before I'd even been working a, a full year, my low back went out for the first time. And so finished playing volleyball. Something felt weird in my low back. I tried getting on the floor to stretch, and then I couldn't get off the floor. They actually had to carry me out in the stretcher. Yeah. So here I'm all of like 23 and, um, yeah, it's just, it scared the hell out of me because I didn't know where things were going from there. And, uh, yeah, so, um, God, Scott, it even got so bad at one point that if I were to ejaculate, there was times when my back went out on me. Yeah. And a lot of undigested food. A lot of undigested food coming out of my stool, um, brain fog, got cold really easy. Um, yeah, yeah, just a, just a mess, just a mess. That's really tough. And um, what are some of the things that started to help? Like, what are some of the first things you explored? You mentioned the first kind of inkling of a diagnosis. Well, you know, it was for a long time, it was one practitioner after another and spending lots and lots of money and lots and lots of supplements. Um, not too many people along the way um, really talked about diet much. And um, so I just kept plugging along into the, you know, if, if, whatever amount of veg vegetables I was eating then was not enough, then 
just keep hitting it harder. And uh, I ended up, I ended up um, because of my low back, that's what got me into body work initially, initially into a type of work called Rolfing. And, uh, and the, the main school is out here in Boulder. Um, so, so when, when I got that moving along at some point, I, I quit my job at Kodak. I came out here to do my training. And then at some point I ended up in, uh, um, have you ever heard of Kripalu? Cause you used to be in the New York city area, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm in New York. Yeah. I oh, know. you are still. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, so yeah, so I did a stint at, at Kripalu and went even deeper. And I was like, oh, I'm not just going to be vegetarian. I'm going to do this whole, you know, live food, raw food thing. And so I got all into sprouting and, you know, just dove deeper in and watched things get worse as I lost even more weight. So I got, I got down to 120 pounds and I was, and I'm about 5'11". That's nothing. <laughs> That's yeah. skin and bones. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, um, and I pretty much without trying, I almost always had a washboard, washboard gut. And at one point that was just, it was just flat. And, uh, so somebody kicked me in the butt and got me eating meat again. And within, within a month, I put on 10 pounds. Wow. So, so that what, was my sign. To do that. <laughs> What's that? What convinced you to do that? Uh, it was a nutrition, another practitioner. She said, Michael, this whole veg thing just isn't doing it for you. You you have to start eating meat. And I was like, I was desperate at that point. So I yeah. didn't want to try. Thank her. <laughs> and, and I will say, I did notice when I go out for bike rides, if somebody was grilling, it smelled really good. So, yeah. So I realized in that moment, you know, and with the weight gain that I, I wasn't listening to my body at all. Yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, someone, that same woman who had me do the stool test was the one who said, I think you got to get off dairy and you got to get off gluten. So that was kind of the thing. So it was kind of paleo ish, you know, is where I went for a while. And so eating meat, but still doing grains or some grains, but then, but then it was the quinoa and the buckwheat and the millet. And, you know, the non-glutinous grains. And of course, you know, only to find out now, you know, a few years ago that, oh, they're even higher in oxalates than wheat and rice are. So, yeah. So again, doing it to myself. And, uh, and then, then for a long time, I just limped along and um, doing the best I could and being able to be somewhat active, but still being kind of uh, dragged down. Uh, with with joint stuff and the low back stuff and that kind of thing, and and still not being able to put on much weight, and then uh, um, things really went to hell. Um, I'm I'm still not sure what what happened here, but I went to Mexico. I picked up a bug, and I had to be on antibiotics like three times before I got over the bug. So I know that took a hit, but at the same time. Um, someone I was working with convinced me, and it was something I was interested in, but I got my mercury fillings out. And sometime within a year after those two things, um, things took another deep dive. And all the foods that are the high sulfur foods we talk about, you know, like the, the brassicas, the cabbage, the broccoli, 
And I can still remember the morning eating eggs. And, uh, and I went into brain fog and had diarrhea. And then after that, I couldn't eat eggs anymore. So still not sure. Is it the mercury getting the fillings out if I, my dentist didn't do it right? Or if it was those, you know, that all that, that extra antibiotics that I had to go on, if that just threw me over the edge. And then I went into such a downward spiral, I really thought I was checking out and um, ended up having to pare my diet down to, um, in my desperation, I tried, what would happen if I just ate meat and winter squash? And when I did that, I actually had a normal bowel movement, which I hadn't had for like eight months. And, um, and then it was like, oh my God, I thought I'd picked up this bug in Mexico is what I was still dealing with. And uh, what it came down to was my food sensitivities had just reached another low and uh, where there was hardly anything I could even eat. And, uh, you know, so somewhere in there, I found Weston Price and, um, and kept my diet down really low. And then I ran across this guy named Andy Cutler, who some people know about, he's passed on now, but he developed a protocol for mercury and heavy metal chelation. And so I followed his protocol, but again, that was at the same time I was pairing my diet down. And so I'm, I'm never sure if that protocol really helped, helped me much or not, but, um, but I became a little more stable and I still went through some rough times. And, and again, in retrospect, I went on a low oxalate diet and I didn't realize it. So I went through, I think I went through some pretty heavy, heavy dumping for a couple of years and, and I didn't know that's what it was. And so I was just thrashing around trying to figure out how to do things and gradually became again, a little more stable, wasn't rocking it, but, um, you know, just keeping, keeping the diet super low with, uh, you know, winter squash, zucchini, and, you know, a fair amount of meat. And uh, the fats I were using was coconut and, and olive oil because I, I was still convinced they're so really specially good for you too. Um, anyway, and then, you know, limping along for a long time then and uh, trying other various things like coffee enemas and, and then, you know, doing stupid things that I didn't realize were hurting at the time. I got a Vitamix blender and, you know, I uh, think I was even pulling dandelions out of the yard thinking, oh, I got to get these greens in me. And they're high in oxalate. So anyway, um, and then, uh, so it was a little over 10 years ago, I was doing good enough to, you know, get an okay mountain bike ride. And uh, um, I pulled off the trail uh, to... Um, this is like a whole nut could be a whole nother story maybe for another time, but, but it, just because of some stuff that came up in my life, I had pulled off to do a little spiritual ceremony thing for myself, lost track of time. And then I looked up and was like, oh my God, it's getting dark. I got to get the hell out of here. And, uh, leaving the trail, I hit a, I hit a rock, a ledge of rock that I didn't see the bike stopped and I came straight down on my head. This episode is brought to you by Optimal Carnivore. Many people I talk to struggle to get enough organic on a carnivore diet. 
There's debate about whether you need to eat organs or not, but I like to supplement with organ meats and it makes me feel better and many carnivores would agree. Optimal Carnivore was created by carnivores for carnivores. In fact, I was consulted during the formulation, which is pretty cool. Um, they have a unique organ complex that combines nine different organs, liver, brain, heart, and more, um, all from grass-fed, grass-finished animals in New Zealand. And taking six capsules a day is the same as eating an ounce of raw liver. Um, and it's, it's completely freeze-dried, and they use a very high-quality process to retain all the nutrients. You can use the link in the episode description or um, the link in my Instagram bio and use the code CARNWAR10 to save at checkout and support the show. Thank you. Broke five vertebra, crushed the vertebral bodies of two, almost a complete sever at C4-5. And, uh, and in that moment, I was in shock and thought, oh, I think I just hit the funny bone for my whole body. And, uh, and if I just wait here for, you know, another half hour or so, I'll be able to get up and start walking. But uh, that didn't happen. And I almost died on the trail. Um, and uh, so I had to have serious neck surgery. And that's left me quadriplegic. And uh, so now I get around in a power wheelchair. And, uh, um, you know, that the, the amount of trauma plus... They ended up having to put me on a feeding tube. And I think there was only two choices for what they gave you. It was either dairy-based or grain-based. And so here's a body that hadn't seen grain in 10 years. And they put me in a grain-based diet. And oh, my poor gut. It just got destroyed. And then that and all the antibiotics and all the, uh, you know, the imaging chemicals. You know, my body was just... I'm amazed I survived that, you know, with this, with this poor digestive system with, you know, 30 years of trauma in it to have that kind of hospital intervention. It, it's just, it's amazing. I made it through that. Um, yeah. But when I got out, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, thankfully the body is resilient. Um, oh my God. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, and once, once I got into the Craig hospital where I was for my rehab, um, at one point when you're doing okay enough, they move you into kind of an apartment. And so, um, you know, I was able to cook some of my own or have people cook some of my own food. So I went back to my meat and winter squash and zucchini and avocado and, you know, a few other things and, uh, you know, gimped along for, for a while. And, uh, and then, you know, once I got into an apartment with my partner and family helping, you know, it's like, Hey, let's get, let's get the juicing going again. And, and, uh, so three times a week, it was a head of romaine and, and, uh, uh, a half a bunch of parsley and a, a chunk of ginger. And, uh, you know, it's like, got to get those greens in me. Um, and that isn't super terrible in oxalate, but I have a feeling I have a feeling what happened is, you know, Sally, Sally Norton talks about this with the right amount of trauma, you can kind of become a super absorber of oxalate and absorb way more than most people do. And I have a feeling I was throwing just enough at it. Um, and, you know, and I think at some points I started putting nuts back in there some that, um, you know, there was this gradual decline 
again, in this point, it was uh, the muscles becoming more and more fibrotic feeling. And at first it was like a little click in my shoulder when I did some exercise, but then it started spreading up my arm, across my back, into the other arm, and then down my spine and up my neck, and then eventually down into my biceps. And, uh, you know, so it's like, you know, again, a whole nother layer of fear of if this fibrosity just keeps spreading, you know, eventually it's going to get into crucial organs and that's going to be it for me. Um, so, uh, so again, more just plugging along and trying to figure out things. And, you know, I got all into fermented foods again. And of course, what do I ferment? I ferment carrots and beets. <laughs> beets really high in oxalates. And, uh, and yeah, so uh, the one, one last thing I thought I would try was a person I followed at that, uh, like four years ago was he, I knew, you know, there's so much infection and things were so bad, dysbiotic stuff in my gut that, you know, I figured I, I must have SIBO. And uh, so, and my body became so sensitive that, or things were so backed up and detoxification pathways uh, that if I, you know, I still kept thinking, oh, I got to hit the, I got to do killing herbs and things to see if I can straighten this gut out. Because I, I did, I kind of skipped, but there was a couple periods where I, I, again, getting so desperate. I went to see this guy in Maine that was, uh, he was doing colloidal silver IVs for people who had Lyme disease because in New England, you probably are aware, in some places, Lyme has gotten really out of hand. And he yeah. was getting cures with people with Lyme. So I went to see him and we did a couple of those IVs and the die off, I don't think my kidney and my body's, my kidneys and my body can handle. And I spent like eight hours in a hot bathtub, just shaking like crazy. And my body, you know, whatever the chemicals are, when you kill all that stuff, it gets released, you know, bad bacteria and yeast and stuff. Um, my body couldn't handle it and it just freaked out. And uh, um, anyway, so it was, but when I first started drinking, sorry, I'm bouncing around all over the place. I have oxalate brain, brain today. But anyway, um, you know, when I, before I got the IVs, what I should have said was that I drank some colloidal silver for a while. And that first weekend I did, I felt like I was a regular guy again. I exercised twice in one day. Oh my God, without having, and my body was still ready to do more and I slept better. And, but then I just couldn't maintain it over time. Um, you know, it seemed like over time, the colloidal silver did less and less. And then we did the IVs and, and that, you know, had wean, waning results. And um, yeah, so, um, so yeah, where did I leave off with, um, I'm, I'm quadriplegic and I'm still trying to figure things out. And then I decided to do the SIBO diet and, uh, and the, the diet was basically your carnivore for three or four months. And then you're throwing all the herbs you can to kill all this bad bacteria from SIBO. Um, and, uh, and then it was literally, like I said earlier to you, about a month 
a month into carnivore, YouTube brings up a Sally Norton video on oxalates. And then, and then it was like, oh, this is filling in. This is filling in what, what happened to me when I was a young guy. And uh, so, um, so then, you know, it was stick with the diet. Um, but for me, um, I don't know how many people you've talked to who've been like chronically ill and it's obvious it's oxalates, but, but for some of us, for some people, you know, they'll have, they'll have times when their body's clearing oxalate and, you know, maybe it clears for three, four days and then they get a day break or they clear for a week and they get a day break. And then there's a few of us, it seems like we're just clearing all the time and we don't get a break. And, and, and as time goes on, maybe we get little tiny glimpses, but then the body goes deeper, deeper, deeper into its own healing. And sometimes things get even more worse. And so lucky me, I seem to be one of those people um, where I've gotten really hammered and I, I hooked up with Sally Norton and, and started working with her as a practitioner. And uh, so at least she was able to hold my hand and uh, kind of walk me through some of the real scary parts when things got really, really bad. And, and, and uh, I tried sending you a few pictures, but it sounds like they didn't come through. But I've got, I've got a little catalog of pictures of oxalates crystals coming out of my neck, coming out of my face. Wow. Um, now and and uh, and and I'll I'll send you those and so that you have this kind of a sense. But I think the first big one was my left ankle swelled up and got bright bright red, and it stayed that. And then it started, um, you know, because my legs, when you're quad and your legs have to stay in one position all the time, when you go to move a little bit, they'll spasm. So spasticity is really common. And uh, uh, so this one night, I still can remember, I woke up in the middle of the night and my legs were spasming and my left ankle was just popping like gunfire. And, uh, and then the next morning, it was bright red and, and swollen. And then two weeks later, it was gone. And wow. that's, happened, that's happened multiple times along the years. Crazy. And then uh, I have a great picture of my two hands together out of the blue, my left hand, and you know, and I, I'm not like punching walls or anything. I, I don't have fingers. I don't have wrists. I can't grab things. So, you know, it would, it would have to take, you know, like me running into a wall and pinning my hand between the wheelchair and, and the wall for like, for me to like do something to my hand that would make it, that would make it swell up. But one morning I woke up and my left hand was like twice as big as my right. And similar pattern, two weeks, gone. And both of those things have, not as severely, but they've, they've happened multiple times um, along the way. And, um, um, and then, you know, again, the oxalates coming out of my skin various times. And, uh, you know, sometimes I go through bouts of anxiety. Sometimes they last for an hour or two and other times all day long. And then boop, next day, gone. And I feel solid and clear and, and that. And, uh, and then just out of the blue, like three weeks ago, 
Um, one of my caregivers was rolling me, you know, I get rolled around by caregivers to get clothes on and moved around between chair and bed. Um, they were telling me, it's like, oh, you've got like, your whole low back is just filled up with scabs, like little, little dots that were had scabbed over. And I can't prove it, but I, I, I have to imagine because it happens to lots of other people that I know in the low ox world. Um, where it's it's just now it's I've got crystals coming out of my low back. Um, so these are all signs of dumping. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Rashes, um, crystals coming out like that. Um, joints popping, um, and even the the mood instability stuff. So I think I've I've covered enough of the like crappy parts. Um, so I'll, I'll share some of the wins that have happened over the last year and a half. So, uh, so about a year and a half into carnivore, um, one morning I was, you know, in, in my bedroom with my caregiver and I have to wear a, uh, it's kind of like, uh, we call it an abdominal binder, but it's, um, it's, uh, it's a girdle basically. And, uh, it helps with maintaining blood pressure because as quadriplegics have a lot of trouble with uh, blood pr pressure regulation. And we often tend to be really low blood pressure. Um, so the abdominal binder keeps the belly tight and that can help some with the blood pressure keeping it up. Anyway, so the only reason I'm mentioning this is because that fabric is a bit textured. It's not smooth. And so I don't have my wrist splint on, like this is what I normally have on my right hand, but the, the splint was off. And I was just like rubbing my hand without thinking about it over the binder. And my brain was like, oh, wait a minute. Uh, I think we just felt texture in a spot that hasn't felt it for nine years. So I'm getting emotional here because it's still yeah, a big wow. deal. Um, I wouldn't say it was normal sensation, but it was different. and. You know, you'd think somebody who's quadriplegic and is paralyzed, you'd think, oh, well, you know, they don't feel anything, right? But what you find out when you know someone who is a quad, it's really common that in the places where we're paralyzed, there is constant noise. There's like all the time. And, and it's not pleasurable. It's not, it's kind of annoying. It's overwhelming when you, you know, for that first year after getting injured. Um, and then when people touch me in various spots, same thing. It's that buzzy, buzzy kind of feeling. And it's, and it's kind of like when, uh, you, you know, you, you slept funny and your arm's asleep. And then it starts waking up before it's back to normal sensation. It's like the, the whole limb is like just kind of stuff. And so that's what I, when I check into my limbs, that's usually what I feel, you know? So, uh, so anyway, it wasn't like that. And it was an area that had been like that. And, and when I would, would touch it, it was again, not full normal, but moving in that direction. And I would say the sensation now in that area is pleasant instead of just like, I don't even want to, I, my, I just wanted to shut off because it's annoying. So the fact that I knew there was a possibility 
that as I started healing from this, all this oxalate crap and, you know, and all the other crap food and seed oils and all that, but, uh, there was a possibility that we could see some improvement, but that was the first, you know, a year and a half in was the first time I saw that improvement. And I so did not want to jinx it. I didn't tell anybody. So two months before I even mentioned to somebody that I'm noticing in the, the spots in my wrist, right at the base of my thumb on both sides. So bilaterally that, uh, that I was seeing, I was seeing some improvement in sensation and, uh, and, you know, two months checking it every day. Is it still there? Is it still there? Am I making this up? Because, you know, this is, even though this isn't like going to change my life and make me walk, you know, the fact that there's some improvement in nerve function, I mean, that's just, you know, they tell you at Craig hospital, it's like between 18 and 24 months whatever you get is all you're going to get. So here I am nine years later, change my diet, clear some oxalates and nerve function starting to show improvement. So it's pretty, it's pretty cool stuff that that's even possible. And then what really confirmed was, um, I think it was about two months later, I went to say something to one of my caregivers and no, no, no lead up to this. We had been talking. There was a pause. I went to say something and my voice was literally like five times louder than I was expecting. It was so loud. It startled me. And it kept up and it kept, you know, it kept, you know, I'd go to say something, not think about it. I had like no control of my modulation. It just came out loud. And, you know, and here's a guy who, with my level of injury, you know, this is what a sneeze looks like. <gasps> that was a sneeze. <laughs> so, because of the diaphragm just isn't there. And so, and then right around that same time the voice went up, I had this one supplement I chomp on and then I spit out the gel cap. And, you know, normally it would feel like got all this pressure, it's gonna go far this time, and then it goes two inches. And I was outside and I spit that supplement out and it went six feet. So that was right at the same time when the voice got louder. So it's like, oh, my diaphragm's working better. This is really cool. And now I can even believe more that what I was feeling in the wrist is real. It's not, it's not that I just hadn't paid attention. It's like, no, there's stuff that's moving. Um, so, um, so again, that was, that was, uh, that was two summers ago. So summer of 21 and, uh, and then, uh, and then, and then this past summer and spring, I just started noticing, I started feeling like my old self, like pre-injury or even way back to when I was in like high school, you know, it's just. My, it's like I've got a healthy functioning brain that's sitting on top of a body that's really struggling, you know, quadriplegia and all that. But, but my personality, my mood was more consistently better and uh, just enjoying having conversations with people. And, and, and then as the summer went on, 
started moving towards um, feeling more hopeful about my future and looking forward to it. Um, you know, this is this is a body who 10 years ago was thinking actively about, you know, do I want to stay? And if I decide it's time to leave, how am I going to do it? Am I going to drive, drive into a swimming pool with my chair? Because <laughs> it's, you know, it's one of these messed up things with this kind of situation. It's like, if I decided I wanted to off myself, it's like, I can't shoot myself. I can't ingest anything unless someone gives it to me. You know, so the best I could do would be like, you know, that's the kind of crazy place I went. It's like, oh, I could drive into a swimming pool and probably nobody could get in soon enough to save me. So to go from that, you know, to still being quadriplegic, but like, wow, you know, there's, there's a lot of things I can do now. You know, if I have my brain, if I have my motivation, my enthusiasm, it's like, okay, you know, it's like, yeah, being in the chair sucks, but, but, um, but yeah, if, if I can really connect with people and feel like my own self, then, then yeah, I want to stay around. I got shit, I got shit, I got shit to do. <laughs> I got a purpose. You know, it's, it's that simple when, when your brain and, you know, is feeling okay. Um, so, you know, my, when, when you have, when you live with this level of trauma, um, you know, dark humor can come in. And I think sometimes it's even necessary, you know, because you have to make fun of your situation. Otherwise it's, you take it too seriously and it could be too yucky dark. So one of the things my ex and I would say, or not my ex, my partner, um, we would, we would joke about <laughs> is that, you know, it's like, Oh my God, if only I had to deal with quadriplegia instead of this chronic illness shit, life would be so wonderful if I was only quadriplegic. <laughs> so, so anyway, I don't know if people appreciate that, but that's, that's how dark it can get. Yeah. Is, uh, you know, when you got a whole layer of ridiculous, you know, um, health issues on top of on top of a spinal cord injury. So, um, so that's getting pretty close to now. Um, so, oh, at another, you know, symptomatic improvement can be great, but sometimes when you're still deep in the forest and, uh, and, and there's still a lot more healing that needs to happen, um, sometimes having something tangible like, uh, a thyroid test that comes in and shows you're taking too much thyroid medication. You need to back off on it. That happened about five or six months ago. And I've, I've dropped my thyroid meds by a half, um, which is, which, and I may have to drop it some more. I'm, I'm due for some, I've been dragging my heels on getting some more blood work done, but that's um, great. Yeah. So that's, you know, just something measurable like that. It's like, okay, you know, I can talk to you all about my sensation coming back and people are like, oh yeah, well, that's nice. But, but if you can show them a piece of paper that says, hey, you're taking too much thyroid now and you're holding your body temperature. You know, I do the, the I don't know if you know that some people use like a, a thermometer in the armpit to check your temperature first thing in the morning. 
So yeah, so I'm dropping thyroid and I'm holding my temperature. That's great. So it's really awesome. It's really awesome. So I still have a long ways to go, but but damn, it feels good to know that keeps me keeps me pointed forward to yeah. see that uh, you know th- there's some real signs of improvement showing. Yeah, you're making progress. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing all that, Michael. It's, yeah, that was a lot. It's very very inspiring and uh, your resilience is incredible. Um, I, and I have so much respect and admiration for you. Um, and, uh, really, really appreciate you, you sharing all that. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, one of the things, the other thing I'll, I'll share on the, on the positive note is, you know, I've learned a lot around nutrition along the way and obviously not enough to heal myself until more recently, but, um, but you know, I've watched so many podcasts and, and, and so many people like yourself who are helping people tell their story. I don't know, you're going to get emotional again. I don't know if you fully appreciate how keeping those stories out there fresh for people, it just gives us hope. So I felt a draw to do that myself, but because of how things have been so up and down in my own recovery journey, um, I hadn't been able to put it together until just recently. So I've started doing interviews um, with people sharing their healing stories. And I had this, because of the oxalate thing is such a big thing for me. Um, and I've watched like all of Sally Norton's interviews. <laughs> I don't know how many times. And, but I had this idea that I've been sitting on for a while. And it's like, you know, Sally does great interviews. Um, you know, but I wonder, I, I just had, uh, I'm having trouble with my words. Um, I just thought it'd be interesting if maybe she would let me interview her and we break the interviews up into pieces. So instead of like one hour and a half or two hour long interview, it'd be like, well, let's do an introduction. Let's do a video on what are oxalates. Let's do a video on what are the symptoms of oxalates. Let's do a video on, you know, what are the foods that are high and low if people just want to reference that. But the idea being, you know, those of us who either are practitioners and, you know, health coaches or whatever, or people who just want to, you know, get the information down better, you know, we can, you know, we'll, I'll create with, with Sally's help a, a series of videos that people can use as a reference tool. And, uh, and, and at first, I thought it was going to be, you know, oh, well, the introduction will only be like 10, 15 minutes and, and, you know, and the symptoms will be like, you know, we'll just read off the list out of Sally's book. And, but instead they've turned into 40, 45 and uh, over an hour. But, but what's, what's turning out is I think it's just got a life of its own. They're turning into deeper dives and, uh, and I said to Sally in the first one, the introduction to Oxalates, I said to her, I said, you know, I've been wanting to interview you for three years. 
since I've known you. And I'm finally able to pull it together now. And, and just another sign of my healing that I put it together enough that I could ask her and get organized and, and, and make it happen. So uh, I even had somebody, and I just probably, you probably get this all the time. I've thought about reaching out to you and say, Hey, Scott, it's like, I think I have a good story. Do you want to interview me? And anyway, so I had somebody on Instagram reach out and I just interviewed her last week. Awesome. And she's got an awesome story. Yeah. And I was so honored that she asked me. So I have a little bit of a sense of what it must feel like to be you <laughs> and doing the work you're doing. So thank, thank you. you. So thank you so much for what you've been doing, Scott. No, thank you. Thank you for coming on. I mean, the podcast isn't possible without brave people like you sharing their stories and uh, being open to, to talking about these things. So, yeah. you know, I, I'm just happy that I'm able to do that. Yeah, it's great. Awesome. Well, uh, I think we could get into other topics, but uh, maybe we'll do a part two, Michael, because I, I think this is just a very good place to end. Um, and I yeah. don't yeah. diminish your story by um, asking any small questions. So um, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been an absolute honor. Um, I'll have a link to your Instagram and your website. Is there anywhere else I should link to where, where folks can find you? Yeah, my um, my YouTube channel. Okay, is, great. Uh, yeah, it's Michael Matthew Vibrant Health. Okay, I'll have that. And it's still pretty small, but we're we're getting it going. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time today, Michael. Yeah, absolutely, Scott. It's been a pleasure and honor to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Carnivore Cast. If you enjoyed this episode, please review on iTunes. It really helps us out and share it with a friend. What questions would you like answered or who would you like to hear from in the carnivore research community? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at carnivorecast or go to carnivorecast.com. You can also email me at info at carnivorecast.com. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep it carnivore.